It's a shock to the system every time you're woken at 5am by your newborn baby daughter crying ready for food, but it became a much greater shock the morning I heard that cry, and at the same time, Ned started calling that she was really unwell and on the phone to our emergency services. To be honest, I wasn't even aware up until that point that Ned was out of the room. I'm not quite sure of the appropriate word used to describe shock and delirium all at the same time. The questions that go through your brain, most particularly, how the heck am I going to feed my baby daughter right now, and will my wife be okay, the level of panic was high. But whatever that appropriate word is to describe shock and delirium combined, that feeling was to hit Ned and I and our family on numerous occasions leading into our current lockdown way of life. Welcome to the third episode of Spin on a Sixpence. We are Ned and Jay and we're exploring in this podcast how we have pivoted our lives during this COVID-19 crisis and we're looking at how others have done the same. I had woken with a terrible allergic reaction and was swiftly taken to hospital in an ambulance. I think everyone has a hospital story with a newborn and between myself and our daughter we had three trips to emergency in two days. So yeah, week three of our daughter's life was dominated by those those couple of hospital trips and nights of uh, very little sleep as well um, and and luckily none of those hospital trips ended up being incredibly serious uh, but of course the uh, the stressful impact when you've only got three week old and uh, dealing with a couple of of uh, illnesses was not very much fun and we were just starting to be a, a little bit scared of being around hospitals as well as COVID-19 was now really close on the horizon and this was well highlighted to us by the, the hospital staff being so happy. There was like collective oohs uh, and ahs when we walked in the door with this little tiny baby whenever we walked into the hospital. And I can remember one uh, example where a nurse uh, really wanted to hold our daughter and she said, oh, if I go and put on some clean scrubs, uh, can I hold your daughter? And we're like, yeah, of course you can hold our hold our daughter. And you couldn't take the grin off her face and all the other nurses that were looking after us kept coming in saying she's still talking about your daughter (laughs) (laughs) that's right um so yeah i guess uh, for us at the end of week three it was really about that we thought that that was as, as shocking and difficult as it was going to get um and we'd done quite a bit of pivoting already with the newborn and then those hospital visits uh week one a new baby week three ambulance hospitalizations but week four was brought brought us really probably the most massive shock and week four was supposed to be jay's last week of leave and i was starting to get a little bit uh worried about uh week four sorry week five uh when jay was back to working nights and saturdays so i was starting to be a bit worried about how to handle the two kids at the um, at these times, especially after having a caesarean and not able to lift a very meaty <laughs> toddler. Meaty toddler. He's, he's heavy. He's, he's, I wouldn't say he's, he's meaty. He's 15 kgs <laughs> and still in a cot, but we've got a bed arriving soon. So. Hurrah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, yeah, the Thursday morning of week four. Uh, so this is the, the Thursday before I was meant to return to work. As Ned said, I, I worked evenings and, and Saturdays and I too was probably feeling a little bit anxious about returning with those hours, but uh, we'd, we'd dealt with it for, for a couple of years in, in the role that I played. And, and it was a job. Yeah, and it was, and it was a job. 
and a good job too. I enjoyed it. Um, but anyway, on that Thursday morning, I received a text from the head of my HR department saying, please call me. And uh, the situation for the company I worked for was that the government had just um, put out the restriction on gatherings inside down to 100 people maximum. And uh, even now in the circumstances that we're currently in, that seems like such a large number. It's kind of it's kind of crazy and that's only a couple of weeks ago. <laughs> um, but this effectively meant that the company I was working for was unable to uh, deliver their program. So myself and the team of people that I managed were all stood down that day. Uh, on the same day, the very same day, a pilot friend of ours was also stood down um, and so were many, many other people, of course, across, across Australia and, and across the world. Um, in building my silver linings, having conversations with, with our pilot friend who's been going through very similar circumstances. He's uh, a lovely a lovely man with a, a lovely little family, also have two young kids, um, uh, was really a godsend. Um, my circumstance then quickly transpired very quickly into a redundancy. The company fast realised that they, they're not going to be in a position for a long time to run as they were. Uh, this literally happened within five days and was really quite a shock to the system. All of a sudden, the company that I'd left, so, you know, I'd left to um, go and have our, our baby daughter and it was quite a celebration when I was leaving, uh, of course. And, and you know, he's saying to everyone, okay, I'll see you in four weeks' time. Um, so all of a sudden, going from that to never working for the company again was, was a real shock to the system. Very full on. Uh, so, Jay, how did you feel when you realised that this was not just you, that these job losses were forced upon many and across many different industries? Um, I think it had uh, some benefits in the sense of you you realise that it's not just you and you see that there are thousands of other people who are going through this experience and and it's not an experience that's created by you. It's, a, it's, a, it's an experience created by extenuating circumstances. Um, that being said, um, it still doesn't make it very easy because like uh, I, I think with the job that I, I was in at the time, um, it was a job that was initially, uh, I was the very first person to, to do that job for the company. And... Um, like any new job, I guess it it had taken me a, a year to probably really settle into the role, and then and then so I was at the point after two years where I was really developing that role and, and feeling really um, pretty excited about where we were going with it. So, so yeah, to suddenly have the rub pulled under you, I guess in some ways was, you know, a bit shocking. But um, under the circumstances, yeah, with so many other people going through it, you sort of have to take that and, and grasp a hold of it, I guess. And tough because it's the whole arts industry has been shattered decimated and so finding another job quickly as many will be finding is not easy and that's part of what we'll be working through with this podcast one of the changes to society that jay and i foresee is that we really now can't ask the kids what do you want to do when you grow up the economic shock will change the economy and future career options and is it really about just about career anymore? We kind of need to think about it being about training for resilience, to build skills such as 
how do you transform a, a business or totally shift what you're doing? And how can you think laterally? So just as we will all rethink our, our, the way that we work, what we value in life, what brings us happiness, how to invest our time, I think so too with this shape the next generation's thinking. And John Fain in his Sunday Age article this morning goes so far as to say that this crisis and the reaction to it has really got rid of previous distinctions we might have had about class and that the old class distinctions have been replaced by a class distinction of those who are employed and those who are unemployed, including the underemployed. So I guess we're lucky that we have one government job between us. <laughs> At the moment. <laughs> yeah. Um, and look, this uh, this change of class and how we look at what we do and uh, who is affected by this was no more evident uh, than when I was standing in the queue at, at Centrelink the day after I was made redundant. It's a long story, not a very exciting story as to how I ended up there and one that I don't think we really need to dissect in this podcast. Um, but needless to say, on that day, when hundreds of thousands of people in this country had some very suddenly become unemployed, uh, there was there was people from all walks of life standing in that queue uh, at social distance, um, and the conversations uh, that I could hear and I participated in uh, revolved totally revolved around what people had done in their previous lives and the careers they'd held, and so many of them were um, uh, people who were in the arts and were in hospitality and uh, had been trying to make their lives from uh, from their um, uh, wages from those uh, two areas and now had nothing all of a sudden. So um, that's a really interesting sort of take on what it's done to society as a whole. I think it's something that we might reflect a bit more on as we keep on going too. Sure. Um, so I guess at this point, Ned and I are dealing with oh, just a little bit on our plates. <laughs> <laughs> we're, uh, we're new parents. We've, uh, we've suddenly had a job loss. We've had those hospital experiences referred to earlier as well, which is adding to the stress. And, um, and there's a feeling of, of solitude starting to take place as well. One of the most fascinating moments that for me reflects how quickly our world shrank was about the time I, I, I lost that job, uh, Ned and I, and uh, Ned's parents as well actually, which is an interesting point, and our two kids, we all went for just a couple of hours uh, down for walks along Williamstown Beach. Jay and I had already decided that we wanted to, uh, it's one of our retirement options, retirement may now be when we're 85 90 <laughs> for a couple of years so uh anyway we'll get there uh but it was such a lovely space to clear our heads uh enjoy a coffee the cafe was still open uh have a have our little guy enjoys riding his bike and one of the memories that i'll treasure and we'll get again soon i'm sure was um holding my son's hand as we walked in the shallows and just like you know pure joy just and it made me so happy 
Uh, and this was, you know, we had a very newborn, newborn at that time. So it was pretty lovely just all hanging out at the beach, at the beach together. And um, quite surreal that you can't do that now. You can't drive to the beach. Uh, and we'll definitely want to go back there. I think that's a really like special special place for us and I guess too uh, one of the one of the things about that um, moment was um, the fact that your parents were there too uh, I remember uh, for me when you were splashing the shallows has brought this into my head um, uh, I actually had a really long conversation with your mother about what was happening for me at the time and um, your mother's really good at listening in, the, in those points and times and and uh, and uh, Hearing, hearing me whinge about lots of different things, I guess. Um, but also the fact that uh, their physical support um, was there just at that point in that time and for the kids as well. And now all of a sudden they haven't been able to even have physical con- well, physical contact with any of us, but with the kids especially for the last couple of weeks since, since probably around those two times we went down to the beach. That's right. Yeah, so the world yeah, really tough. has shrunk. In future episodes, we're going to talk about our response to this crisis, uh, focus on how we and others are responding to it. This includes taking care of our mental well-being as well as practical aspects. So the Williamstown example was definitely one where we really needed to go to the beach, even though it was tricky getting two kids and us out the door uh, and managing feeding on freezing day down at the beach uh but the practical aspects we've just bought a a new house in the last year we've got two kids and we've got one less income so we've got a bit to deal with but uh i guess the most important thing that we want to start focusing on in the next few episodes is is all about how we've been addressing this i think one of the the great things um I was pretty upset in those few days, but one of the great things was um, my wonderful wife who's sitting opposite me. I think from about the minute after the the uh, redundancy phone call was like, right, let's go. We're <laughs> we're changing things. We're going to start building this and doing this, and um, we'll talk a lot more about that because I think the one of the, the strengths of our relationship is is the fact that we uh, we hold each other up really well in in times of crisis and. Uh, and sometimes you need the person who can uh, wallow a bit, and, and the person who's practical and is the go-getter. Let's let's get this driving, and, and that's been the last couple of weeks have been really fun exploring some options, and we'll talk a lot more about those in the next few episodes and those silver linings. Um, and one of the really critical silver linings for us has also been how connected we become as a family, uh, uh, a family of um, two. People have been on a journey together for sort of uh, nine, ten years, and these two little humans that we're bringing up, and it's it's actually been really lovely having all that time with our with our two little ones. Um, so we'll, we'll talk a bit more about that as well. Um, but uh, look forward to talking to you on the, our next episode. Please subscribe to our podcast, rate us, and uh, jump onto our Facebook page. And uh, thanks for having a chat, Ned. That was fun. Thanks, Jay. 9.30, time for bed. Okay, see ya. Bye.